This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlled transmission. Sleek Geeks, Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer. Well, hello, podcast lovers. It's Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl Krushelnitsky back again with another Sleek Geeks podcast. Brought to us by a number that I'm just going to grab at random out of my big book of numbers, Carl, available mm-hmm. at I can my predict webs. it'll be between 1 and 100. Correct, because it is the numbers 1 to 100 like you've never seen before through adamspencer.com.au. If you want yourself a copy, here we go. Bookstores as well. Yeah. Bing, ding. Ah, okay, I've opened it up as a little entry on the number 31. Carl, what's interesting about the 31. sentence? 31. The five boxing wizards jump quickly. The five boxing wizards jump quickly. Oh, you've got a Z in there. I've got a Z. And an X. I've got an X. Have you got a Y? Five. Boxing wizards jump quickly. Quickly Y? Oh, that's got all of it. I've never heard that one. So does that have all of the letters of the alphabet, all 26 letters of the alphabet? It's got 31 letters in all, in told, 31 letters, and does include everything from A through to Z. It's called a pangram. Oh pan, my God. and as in across, and gram yeah. as in grammar. So it goes across the whole grammar. The one that people normally learn is the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Mm. Now that's got 35 letters. Ah. You can change the second the to jumps over a lazy dog and bring it down to only 32 letters. But the five boxing wizards jump quickly as only 31. Probably my favourite pangram is pack my box with five dozen liquor jugs. Whoa, how many letters is that? 32 letters. Oh, not as good as 31, which is a prime number, but 32 is good because it's two to the fifth. What about Sphinx of Black Quartz, Judge My Vow? It's got 29. Does that have every letter of the other? Sphinx alphabet? of Black Quartz. Okay, so you go into the Judge Egyptian desert vow. and there's a Sphinx, which yeah. happens to be made of a uh, uh, black precious rock, yep. onyx. And you, you, you tell it about a promise that you have made. That you will always speak in full sentences with verbs and never use swear words. And then the Sphinx decides if you shall live or die. You say, Sphinx of of Black Quartz, judge my vow. It's a bit contrived. But anyway, the number number 31 has brought us this week's podcast and we're up and running. Let me ask you a question, Carl. Mm. Because sometimes when people are, you know, thinking about... Pondering some of the problems in my mum book, big book of numbers. You know, they, they they concentrate, and then you can see the veins throbbing in their head. Why do veins look blue? It's a mystery. We've only recently found it out, and it was some physicists who found out. Now, the term blue blood mm-hmm. goes back into the ancient times when the nobility. And by the way, at one stage in history, in Lithuania, twenty mm. percent of the population were nobility. Huh. Normally, it's about half a percent. and they make common? It, yeah, I know, common nobility. No, anyway, don't let anyone in in those days, those so Lithuanians. The nobility could lift up their forearms and say, observe the blue veins on my untanned arm, unlike that peasant over there who has to work in the sunlight. Oh. My, ah, so you couldn't see their veins because they were so tanned. But I have blue veins. I am obviously not having to work in the fields. I am nobility. Let me stay in your house and give me some gold and diamonds before I leave in the morning. So proud, proud to be a bludger. They were. Proud to be a bludger. I never knew that's where blue blood came from. There you go. The phrase. Now, blood is not blue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It ranges from sort of bright red to cherry red to a sort of a darker red. So it's either arterial blood, which is loaded with oxygen, to less red. But at no stage does it ever go 
blue. Okay, so tell me through that. I'm, I'm breathing in oxygen now. Mm. As I do that, that goes down my throat into my lungs. Then travels through the 70 square metres of surface area in your lungs, half a tennis court, into the blood vessels, and there gets picked up by the haemoglobin. And each molecule of haemoglobin can pick up either one, two, three, or four oxygens. And as it picks up the oxygen, it changes shape. So there's a wonderful metaphor that as it breathes in the ox- oxygen, it actually breathes in and changes its own shape. And no, so once that, once that, oxygen is into the blood vessels just near my lungs. So then go to my heart? It then goes from the veins into your uh, low pressure chamber, the left, uh, is it the left? Yeah, it's the right atrium where it's low pressure and blue, right ventricle where it's still blue but slightly higher pressure into your lungs, into your lungs and then does that whole oxygenation thing and then gets uh, back into your left ventricle, left atrium, left ventricle, gets pumped up to high pressure around your body and then back into the whole circuitry again. So it goes heart, then Lung. down to my lungs. And then back into the heart. To back get into the heart up. and then out to my body. Mm. There you go. So... At no stage is the blood blue. In fact, if you ever do surgery, Mm -hmm. veins are not blue unless you've got skin on them. You go and look at a naked vein, blow me down, the bugger's red. Mm -hmm. So it's something to do with the skin, and it comes back from a paper written in 1996 called Why Do Veins Appear Blue, written by some optical physicists. And the first thing is that when light interacts with skin, all sorts of stuff happens. The light doesn't just go in and out. It goes and hits something in the skin. It gets absorbed. It gets re-emitted. It then goes a bit further. Emitted, reabsorbed. And so it goes in, out, in, out, hitting molecules and atoms all the way down until finally it lands on a vein and then it heads back out to your eyeball, once again being absorbed and then re-emitted trillions of times in a blink of an eye. And what happens is that as the veins near the skin, they are uh, near the skin, they emit tiny amounts of red light, but lots of blue light. Because of the physical optics, they emit lots more blue light, so any colour blue that happens to be there is more noticeable. That's the first factor. Mm-hmm. The second factor is the how much oxygen the blood is carrying. And when I said it goes to a darker red, when it loses the oxygen, that's not blue, but it's closer on the pathway to the mysterious blue that we're chasing. So they're small way on the pathway. The third factor is the veins. And if they're just deep under the skin, you go through the physics again, they'll turn more blue. And uh, If they're deeper under the skin. The, deeper under the skin, and you've got to go into fancy physics with, oh, my God, double differential equations. Yeah, oh, baby. Oh, yeah. And the fourth one is your brain. Your brain does processing. Is the colour purple always purple? No. If it's by itself on a white sheet of paper, it's purple. But if it's next to the colour red, you'll say, oh, Look at that shade of blue. And so a similar thing happens. You compare and contrast it with something nearby and the contrast of the surrounding skin makes the veins turn into a bit of a blue colour. I hope you haven't been turning a whiter shade of pale with all this talk of blood. Boom! Oh, God, sorry about that. Thank you very much, Dr. Carl Krosnitsky. Right answer to that question. Time now for... What's up? Twitter time. Yeah! Some Twitter questions. You can send us Twitter questions to at Geeks. Carl and I love answering them. Well, I love sitting here while Carl answers them and occasionally contributing. Cesar. Cesar. Sent a great little question in, Carl. It's a bit of a complicated one. If we quantum teleported a camera 150 million light years away, took snaps of the Earth 
then teleported it back, would we see dinosaurs? So it's a, Yes and no, theoretically. So what he's saying is if we can go right now instantaneously in zero time mm. to 150 million years ago, 150 million light years away. So dinosaurs were around from 220 million years ago when the oxygen level was down to 20, down to 11% instead of the 20% it is today, and then they, they survived until 65 million years ago. So it's sort of going somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. So, okay. so someone standing on a planet 150 million light years away with a camera or with a telescope trained on the Earth at the moment, mm. would they see dinosaurs? A very small number of photons bearing dinosaur information would land on their eyeballs or be caught by their telescope. So think about it. The sun is shining on the dinosaurs 150 million years ago. Mm-hmm. It's then re-emitted and goes out of the Earth's atmosphere and then is spread onto the surface of an increasingly larger sphere. Mm-hmm. So you start off with untold trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of photons. By the time you're getting to a light year out, you're probably down to only a trillion photons. By the time you're getting to 150 light years out, there's probably only a dozen photons or even one photon from that dinosaur and it wouldn't carry all the information. Ah. You'd have to reconstruct the information or you'd have to average it out over a period of time or else... Oh, if you had a, if you could capture all of the information on that sphere with a radius of 150 million light years and then integrate it, you could then see the dinosaurs back in time. You'd get a hint that there was something dinosauroid maybe-ish. There are a couple of other things tied up in this question of Cesar's. If we quantum teleported a camera, blah, blah, what is quantum teleportation? Oh, this is the stuff that bo- bothered the heck out of Einstein. Hmm. And so... You remember back we'll, to, we'll, go, we'll go through it really slowly because yeah. this is the sort of stuff people sort of nod at and they don't really get. Yeah. Quantum describes the quantum world. That's the world of the extremely small where we seem to witness phenomena that don't apply to larger objects in the in the world that we more naturally associate ourselves moving around in, yes? You got in one. Like if I push gently upon you when you're balancing on one foot, you'll tend to lean and fall over. Mm-hmm. Causation. No causation in quantum land. Mm-hmm. If I push on you, might something might happen, might not. Or if I don't push on you, you still might fall over. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's, we've lost that link of causality where A causes B. Things just happen by themselves. So you can have a bunch of nothing. Suddenly, out of that nothing can appear a positive and a negative. They then immediately recombine and vanish. And providing they do it over a short enough period of time, nothing can give birth to something. You can kind of make an analogue of this in the real world where if the kids can borrow the parents' car and get it back before the parents notice, it never happened. A couple of other things that seem to happen at the quantum level that we don't see happening in our day-to-day lives. In the quantum level, it seems as though a, a, a single object can be in two places at once. Unfortunately, that's true and it hurts my head. So electrons are either going around this atom of carbon right here or they are everywhere else in the world at the sa- in the universe at the same time. Both are true. They are here and they're everywhere else but with lowering amounts of probability but nevertheless enough probability that it can become real. In your phone, there are circuits and... An electron can't get from here to there unless, because there's an energy hill in the way. But if it can just magically appear there, 
well, then your phone works. Your phone works because of quantum tunnelling. The electron goes from here to there in zero time without crossing the distance in between. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that interaction between particles, so in, in, in our, again, in our big world, for me to communicate something to you, it takes time for the sound or the light or the electric charge to get from me to you. But it seems in the quantum world that you can do something to an object and it's an, another object a distance away will react instantly. And we wonder how can the information have got from the first particle that I've, say, flipped, mm. how, how, did, how did space and time manage to tell that second particle in zero time at all, that first one's been flipped, you'd better flip over. They seem to happen, these things seem to happen instantaneously. Number one, we have no idea how this craziness happens. Number two, it happens. Information is transmitted at faster than the speed of light. Well, hang on, wait a second, not information, knowledge, but not necessarily information. So if I have two socks and I say on this side of the universe, hey, I've got a left sock, then you on the other side of the universe can instantly say I've got a right sock. Mm. So it gets tricky with the information thing. Quantum physics is the only part of physics that I know where people do an experiment and then argue about what the heck it meant. We've got this result, but what does it mean? And the other thing that in, implicit in Cesar's uh, question teleportation. Mm. I think I remember Brian Gainsler, the Australian brilliant astrophysicist, saying that we seem to have proven that teleportation is possible on the individual... It's, it's theoretically possible on the individual uh, particle scale, but if you wanted to teleport something that was made out of particles, like even a set of keys, you'd require more energy than there is in the entire universe to dismantle transport and reassemble? He got in one. There are a few, let's put it this way, glitches in our understanding. <laughs> but think about it this way, Adam. Our great-grandchildren will be playing with this as a toy and you'll say, come in, Johnny, and have your lunch. Sorry, I'm quantum teleporting myself into a black hole, Dad, Grandpa Adam. You're on the Sleek Geeks podcast with Adam Spencer and Carl Kruzhanitsky. You can send us these questions at Sleek Geeks uh, on Twitter. Dr. Carl, Mike asks us, why do birds swoop in front of passing cars and bikes? Are they just playing? It certainly doesn't feel like they're just playing when they swoop on you. Is it normally they're, they're protecting what they see as a threat to their environment and they're young? Uh, a few different behaviours there. I spoke to an ornithologist about this. Huh. It could well be... Bill Oddie, Bill Oddie from The Goodies is now an ornithologist. No. Yeah, yeah, the chubby guy from The, the Goodies. The guy? Loves birds. Oh, they're, loves well, they're, they're, they're so wonderful. Bill and Bailey's an ornithologist. How much fun was it when we chatted with him the other oh, day? what a man. Loves birds. So they're, on one hand, they're protecting a territory, and if it happens to be that a, a six-lane highway, for part of the night, it is not very busy, and that's their territory. Another part is that the birds have to keep on eating all the time. And so the movement of cars can disturb insects. And they've worked out that as the cars come, they'll put out this pressure wave and the insects will get lifted up to just the right height. And you can't see them. Like, their flicker fusion rate is higher than ours. So if I show you one, so a bit of a diversion, if I show you one image every second, blick, 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 you say, yep, one image a second. Mm -hmm. If I show you 25, you're saying, wow, I'm seeing a movie. A bird wouldn't see a movie. A bird would see 25 images a second. Oh, really? They I never have, knew that. Yeah, they get up to about 60 or 70. That's called their flicker, flicker fusion, fusion rate. rate. And so the bird can see there are insects. So there's a car driving along. 
the pressure wave in front of the car lifts up the insects, and there is the insect, instead of being on the road or at the side of the road, suddenly it's half a metre above the road. I'll just tie myself and go in there, blink, open my mouth, get it, and be gone. Ah. Thank you, car, for providing me with my breakfast. Do we know which animals have the greatest flicker fusion Right. Somewhere in the birds, and it's up around the 70s or 80s. I think it's one of the eagles that has it. This is when I used to work in um, comparative physiology of retinography, but I don't do that anymore. And this is also this, this is tied into why it looks like sometimes uh, on the old movies that the stagecoach wheels were spinning backwards, or you can watch a car going past you and it looks as though their wheels are spinning backwards. Is that because the eyes, our eyes' ability to... See, like, so with 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 the with the wagon wheels going backwards, mm-hmm. that's the because there's twenty five frames in a second, yeah. but we can't perceive every one of them individually. We're only seeing individual snapshots of that wagon wheel, and if it's re- if the wagon wheel is rotating at a certain speed compared to the twenty five frames per second we're taking, we're catching images of it moving backwards? Yeah. So you imagine we've got a perfect stroboscope, So, and imagine there's only four spokes on the wheel. Yep. You know, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So the camera takes one snapshot, bing, and a 25th of a second later it takes another snapshot, and amazingly the timing is such that the wheel has rotated 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. So there was a spoke vertically, and bingo, in the next picture there's another spoke vertically. Mm-hmm. So as far as you're concerned, you're seeing the stagecoach go along, but the wheels are not moving at all. Going a little bit faster, they edge in one direction. A bit slower, they edge in the other direction. So that's the origin of the seeing the wheels seem to go backwards or forwards. And one year, Mitsubishi came out with a wheel that had two sets of spokes, an inner set and an outer set. And according to the 25 frames per second thing, you'd see the inner ones going in one direction and the outer ones going in the other direction. We think that the engineers did it just for fun. Just messing with our minds. Good on you, Mike. Great question. Don't forget to send those Twitter questions too, at Sleek Geeks. Ask us a question on Twitter. We'll do our best to answer it. You're with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl. Carl, it's time again to dips our lid to those Ig Nobel Prize winning scientists. These are the scientists. The Ig Nobel Prizes is for work that should never or can never be replicated, yes? That's right. And also to make you laugh and learn, to say what's, what on earth is going there and then suddenly work out, hey, this is actually reasonable. You told me that when you won your Ig Nobel Prize at the presentation ceremony, the citation and the presentation is conducted by an actual Nobel Laureate, not an Ig Nobel. Ah, genuine ones. In fact, three of them. And the guy who would sweep up all of the paper aeroplanes, because you're supposed to take sheets of paper and make paper aeroplanes, he would sweep up the tables. He was uh, the, the, the planes off the table, off the floor. He was a high-ranking physicist and later won a Nobel Prize himself. There you so go. the guy who sweeps the floor is a Nobel Prize winner. Great stuff. Well, tell me about the uh, Nobel Ig Nobel Prize for Medicine uh, for the article Nasal Packing with Strips of Cured Pork as Treatment for Uncontrollable Epistaxis in a Patient with Glansman Thromba thrombasthenia? Epistaxis is a medical word meaning bleeding like a stuck pig. Okay. So you're just bleeding from your nose like crazy. Thrombasthenia In your blood, your blood is mostly salt water, 55%, -hmm. 45% cells, mostly red blood cells, about 1 in 30 white blood cells, and some of them 
are called platelets. Platelets are what stop you from bleeding to death. Your platelets are sticky, and when you have a cut in a vein or an artery, the platelets change what they do normally, and they hold hands and they stick and they form a bridge and gradually cover up and block and occlude the hole through which you're bleeding to death, and then you just stop bleeding. Big it up for the platelets. By the way, the platelets are most sticky in most people around nine o'clock in the morning, which is why most heart attacks happen around nine o'clock in the morning. Big a lot of any platelets that are listening to the podcast. So tell me about this, Carl. So Glansman thrombosthenia happens to one in every million people, and their platelets look okay, but they're not. They don't have haemophilia, they've got something else, and they, when you cut them, they just keep on bleeding. And if they're bleeding from the nose, it's messy, because what you have to do, and I've seen this done working with an ENT, ear, nose and throatologist, is that you'll even run a bit of cloth, you'll push it with a little soft rod, you'll push it through one nostril and then get them to open their mouth and then reach in and then pick it up at the back of their mouth and then pull it through. So it does a complete loop through the nose and out through their mouth. Oh, yuck. Or sometimes if the bleeding happens to be right at the back of the nose, you'll push it in one nostril then reach up through the back of the mouth and then push it back and they'll tie a little bow at the front. Mm. And they used to do this for a while, but before they did that, Before they did that, somebody discovered that cured pork (laughs) would work. And they couldn't work out why. And this paper works out not just the first reason, but the second reason. The first reason is cured. It's got salt in it. Uh And so the salt then goes into the surrounding tissues and then osmosis happens and then all of the cells bloat up with liquid and become fat and they sort of squash the bleeding blood vessel. This works most of the time. So if you happen to be a bleeder, take some cured pork with you. But for this particular disease, Glansman thrombosynia, they found that by an amazing coincidence, some chemicals in the pork act on the platelets and make them become sticky. Wow. We didn't know that and we just discovered it. And this is another case of laugh and learn. You think it's crazy, but actually it makes sense. Let me tell you a couple of little things off the back of what you were talking about there. 55% of blood is salt water, yes? 55%, except when they go in the, what do they call that tour, that race in France? Tour de France. Tour de France. What they'll do is they'll pull out some blood. Allegedly. Allegedly. Get the the, the red blood cells and then squirt them back into themselves, allegedly. And then instead of having 45% cells to carry oxygen, 47, 49, 50 55, and the blood will do a thing called sludging. And suddenly, a very fit young man will have a stroke in his brain and be damaged for the rest of his life. Because the blood has turned into almost what? Sludge. Treacle. Treacle. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. So when they use the phrase, that's enough to make my blood boil, I've heard people ask, what temperature would blood boil? If it's more than half water, does blood boil at roughly the temperature of... Water? Yeah, yeah, about 100 degrees centigrade, but you can also make it boil by going to very high altitudes. Oh. And I think the altitude is up around 80,000 feet or something like that. It'll spontaneously boil because the pressure of the surrounding air is so low that it'll start matching the vapour pressure of the surrounding air with the vapour pressure of the blood. And you mentioned the ear, nose and throat, that old famous old medical specialty branch. Mm. Encrypted crosswords. Ah. They often make a reference to a doctor or a specialist for E-N-T, because ENT is the 
you know, such a common uh, end of words like different and things, evident. The right. ENT is often provided. So evident, right, the word evident, E-V-I-D, mm-hmm. E-N-T. Yeah. Now, evident, the first bit, E-V-I-D, that's Evid. the word dive back. Hang on. Dive back? How do you get it? Dive backwards. Oh, dive backwards. Would become E-V-I-D. D- E-V-I-D, D-I-V-E, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. They say, so, uh, so if it was, um, so, fall, fall back, doctor. Yeah. Oh, fall. Fall back, doctor, is obvious. Fall back, dive Back becomes E V I D. Yeah. Doctor E N T. E V I D E N T is evident, obvious. Fallback doctor is obvious. The clue is fallback doctor. And the other clue is obvious. And it gives you evident. Why why obvious again? Obvious is evident. So a cryptic clue. Oh, evidence. Yeah. The, the, oh my crypt, God. The, the cryptic clue normally means that the, the clue is there's, there's two clues contained in one. There's two interpretations of the answer tucked away in the one clue. So fallback doctor gives you dive backwards, E-V-I-D, doctor, E-N-T, evident, and obvious gives you evident. Fallback doctor is obvious. How do you get the brain that turns that, that into English? <laughs> now, is, is it true, Adam, is it true that you happen to be with me in the United Kingdom and happen to be doing the Times crossword, the cryptic crossword, and then came back to Australia and then saw the same crossword that you had sold <laughs> in three quarters of an hour on a local newspaper and yeah. then the, tell so, the story? So the, time, the Times cryptic crossword is the most beautiful of the cryptic crosswords okay. in the world. Oh, so it's got people. the world reputation. Just beautifully written. The clues are so gorgeously constructed. There's often a common theme running through several clues. It's quite difficult. It's just this British institution. And back in the day, before this intranetty web thingo, they used to, the Australian newspaper in Australia, the Australian still carries the Times crossword. But delayed. These days they email it across and it's probably the day after. Oh, okay. Back in the day, it used to be three or four weeks later because they would have to be shipped out to Australia, type set up and produced. I used to know a woman whose job was to set up the, lay up the Times crossword in the Australian newspaper. And if she ever made a mistake, if she left a clue out or put the wrong number of letters in an answer, there would be more complaints made to the Australian newspaper about a mistake in the Times crossword than across all other aspects of the newspaper on an individual day. If there was a mistake in the crossword, the phone would just (laughs) ring off the hook. So I was in the UK once, yeah, doing a, going to a debating championship and was doing the Times crossword each day, got back to Australia, had some friends I used to play a Wednesday night pub trivia with uh-huh. and we used to just sit around drinking beers at this hotel in Newtown in Sydney, Australia, answering trivia questions and we were such nerds that in the half-hour break between the two rounds of trivia when we had nothing else to do, we'd crack out the Times crossword. You could do it in half an hour. We'd have, well, there's four or five of us, we'd have a go. Wow, it takes me all day even to get no clues at all. And we'd see how we'd go and there was one time where they produced the Times crossword for that week. I'd just been uh, back from the UK a couple of weeks and I looked at the crossword and it was one I'd seen before. I'd, oh, no. I'd done it when I was in London. And so I just then proceeded to one across. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Dive, uh, you know, fall back, doctor is obvious. So that'd be, would that be evident? And just reeled <laughs> off about 17 clues <laughs> in a couple of minutes and had my friends' jaws on the table 
at what they thought they were witnessing the greatest performance ever of man versus crossword. Oh, the, it was the in God fact, of verbalism. It was in fact cheat versus crossword. Oh, Adam. But it was done in good heart. It wasn't to take away something from them. No, it was done for all the right reasons, as was this week's Sleek Geeks podcast. Hope you enjoyed. We'll speak to you soon. Cakes.